Hello and welcome to the Lancet Podcast. Richard Lane with you on Friday, May the 16th. And this week we're focusing on our long editorial, which concerns climate change and health. And it has uh, a particular US angle on it. So I'm delighted to be joined by our North American senior editor, Beck Cooney, who's on the line from New York City. Hello, Beck. Hello, Richard. Tell us about this leader. Tell us about the peg for the leader, because climate change and health, that's a topic no stranger to the Lancet. We've published an awful lot, including commissions and all sorts of things. So why are we talking about climate and health in this week's main editorial? Well, one thing that I found particularly interesting when I was looking at the report, it's a third national climate assessment that was released by um, the U.S. Global Change Research Program, which um, comprises hundreds of scientists and policymakers and 13 different federal agencies that contribute to to this group, is that they have done a much more comprehensive job of laying out, you know, the, we know that these are the impacts of climate change, but then really taking it to that next uh, step, which is what are the downstream effects of climate change as they affect humans? Because if you're going to make any sort of case for why Americans should be paying attention to something like climate change that affects the entire globe, how do you really bring it home and, and make people realize that it's in their backyard and it affects their daily life? One thing that I thought about, too, that just sort of stuck in my head was this idea from the Smith song of How Soon Is Now, because we continually talk about climate change as sort of this ongoing process that's a really distant future, but but the fact of the matter is that it is now, it's already occurring, it's already underway, and it's something that is going to continue to evolve and escalate over time. Certainly in, in this country and, and other countries too, the critics, or, the, or if you like, the cynics, who are not happy to make this leap um, about climate change and the adverse effects, the fact that it's actually happening and having adverse effects on, on the earth and our civilization, they're still quite vociferous. And is that the case in the United States as well? Is, is there a strong lobby there who are just rejecting the whole climate change debate? There is, and I actually think it probably is emanating from the United States, which is really interesting. And I've, been, I've really given it a lot of thought as to what is precipitating this, because on one hand, you know, there are issues with climate science. It is a sort of moving target. We have all these different types of observations that are drawn on. We have statistical models that require a lot of assumptions that are made. And so as a scientist, it's very important that we have people examining the quality of the data so there's not a garbage in, garbage out situation. But when it comes to this sort of the classic denial statement that, that people have been making, especially in the political arena, that climate change doesn't exist, is just simply not true. And it really sort of smacks of this idea of that is are people having an issue with climate science or are they having an issue with science in general? And then what do you do to actually convince people and to find what kind of metrics actually convince um, individuals to make changes? And I think that is really interesting. Also, the way in which we even talk about climate change is fascinating when you ask individuals, you know, two-thirds of Americans believe in, in climate change change and or global warming and that's just fascinating when we're using faith-based terms to talk about something that doesn't require faith it requires data and we do have data so I think that's really fascinating and especially there's really a sort of talking out of both sides of the mouth in the United States where you know we are consistently one of the you know wealthiest countries in the world 
And we also spend hundreds of billions of dollars domestically on research and development spending yearly. Um, we spend the most money on biomedical sciences, and we fund the most research in the entire world. So really, where is this disconnect coming from and how you can talk to people in a way that addresses that, sure, there are always going to be faults with the way that we collect data about the climate, and there's always going to be ways to improve it, but it isn't this sort of notion of the science is not all yet in yet, because it's never going to be in yet. You've mentioned the, the fact we're talking about data here rather than faith which I think is a great way of, um, of putting it. We do have clear data about the effects of climate change the, and the adverse effects on health. Can you give a couple of examples? Sure, and I think it's really important, too, to qualify when you have a report like this and you're using metrics from across so many different types of science and data collection, looking at buoys and you know the levels of um, the sea rise and ice melt and all these different metrics, there are both these sort of longer-term aspects that can affect health, and then there's the shorter-term aspects that can affect health. And I think when we look at sort of a, a global pattern of warming and those um, those effects on human health, you know, the, the major issue that comes out of that is, um, you know, how does this affect agricultural production and how is it going to affect food security and food insecurity globally. Whereas in the United States, it's less of a focus on that. That's always going to be an issue, but we have some other uh, more long-term and short-term issues that, that are going to emerge. And I think probably what is the most fascinating is how looking at, um, for example, how changes in temperature, for example, in the last decade or so, we've had an increase of um, temperature about 1.6 degrees Fahrenheit of the overall general temperature in the U.S. And then to look at that sort of mapped over on these subtle climate, microclimate changes where sometimes we have increases and decreases in temperatures, and then how that might affect something like the corridor of um, the central Midwest and increase the length of time that um, pollen is being spread, and then extending the amount of year that people who are allergy sufferers are going to be experiencing um, symptoms. So we have that sort of situation going on. We also have issues such as um, increases in temperature and migration of vector-borne disease. For example, chikungunya, which was not in the North American um, scope at all 10 years ago even. We've now started to see cases. I believe there's now two cases that we've seen in Florida. So we have other issues like that, infectious disease issues to consider. And then there's also things that are very obvious, like air pollution and quality there, and people who have chronic respiratory illnesses, the, the rate of asthma has increased noticeably. Children are especially vulnerable. The elderly are especially vulnerable. Those who live in cities are especially vulnerable. So we have this whole constellation of different components of climate change that can affect daily life. And it is really important to suss out which ones of these are going to affect people in this year, for example, allergies. In the next 10 years, people who may have more chronic respiratory illnesses. In the next 50 years, we're going to be seeing other rises in sea levels and how that might change our um, migrational patterns within the U.S. So there's, there's multiple levels there. And I think that's what makes it so difficult when you're conveying a report like this is to, to get that part across the people. 
Sure. And clearly this report is a focus on the situation concerning climate change and the United States. And obviously we're focusing on, on, on the health aspects of that predominantly in, in the editorial. But of course it touches other areas, agriculture, the environment that relate to health as well. But the messages are global, aren't they, even though the focus of the report is U.S.? It really is. And, and I think one of the most interesting parts for me was the way in which the kind of prescriptive um, aspect is, is laid out. And so you have these two sort of interrelated strategies of mitigation and an adaptation. And mitigation of climate change is probably the more controversial aspect of it. You know, what actually should we be doing? How do we get the federal government and then also international governments involved in reducing emissions? And how do we agree upon those? How do we come up with financial incentives for industry to conform to those standards? And then we have adaptation, which is something that I think is the more uncomfortable part of climate change, which is asking individuals to modify their behaviors. That is something where we might actually have more luck doing, and I think especially stateside, if there are ways to kind of convince people that that is a but as a reality, we're going to have to use less fossil fuel in the future. We may have to reconsider how cities are structured so that there's more reliance on active transportation as opposed to driving, for example. But there's also sort of this idea of co-benefits, of doing things like making a city greener and, and asking people to kind of, you know, adapt to that lifestyle change. You know, we have cardiovascular benefits of walking more and also um, by planting more trees, you are able to also um, offset more carbon and things like that. So um, I think it's really interesting to think about that and how you paint a picture for Americans as opposed to programs like this are already happening over the world and trying to you know increase sustainable architecture. So it is a way to, to kind of make sure that Americans don't feel isolated from the rest of the world, but at the same time sort of cater to what makes us unique. Mm, just a final thought before we close, Beck, and I hate to use stereotypes, but what, sometimes, particularly I think if you're outside America, you can sometimes perceive America, particularly urban America, as large built-up areas that are dominated by the motor car everyone driving the gas is relatively cheap in america compared to other countries certainly britain very few sidewalks or pavements as we call them over here it's easy to portray urban america as a place that's dominated by the motor car where there isn't really a space for the individual green space walking healthy living are there examples of urban spaces in america that are making progress on that i think new york is probably one of the best examples and former mayor michael bloomberg did um, a fantastic job of putting that sort of at the forefront of when we invest in architecture and open spaces for people, if we're being mindful of kind of what is this, you know, what are our short-term goals of making a space that is beautiful, but at the same time, how are we also offsetting something like the change in rise in sea levels? You know, that's been a huge issue here after Hurricane Sandy is we are able to look at maps of which um, regions are going to be the most significantly affected by something like that or another storm and then how do we plan around that and I think it's actually from from the perspective of, of industry these are hugely important benefits to look at it also makes the I think even just looking around visually you notice how significantly the architecture around the island has changed and I think that's a really good striking example of, of a place where we've done that well. 
Mm. Well, it's, it's a fascinating topic. I'm sure we'll return to it, but a really interesting leader. Great to be talking about United States, and we will be hearing a lot more of Beck over the, over the coming months because we want to be talking a lot more about uh, the Lancet and the United States, and we do have a series on the United States coming up at the beginning of July. But in the meantime, Rebecca Cooney, our North American senior editor on the line from New York City, many thanks indeed for talking to us. Thank you so much.